did he? Tell the angels, I'm going on up yonder to be with my Lord. Amen. Just let them know. I was sharing with somebody Wednesday as we went out. I said, isn't it good God hasn't told you about the number of days you have in your life? You're talking about being on calculators. We'd be on those calculators figuring out how many more days we got left. But but the Lord knows our days, don't he? He says he's already numbered our days. So, So God has it already fixed of how long you're going to be here. And the question is, what are you going to do while you're here? What are you going to do? That's what's important. Are you going to live for Christ or are you going to live for self? That's a decision that is made not just daily, but moment by moment, hour by hour. Who you're really going to live for. And, and it's so important. It's so important. I was watching Cleveland, I think it was, where they got cameras in a certain place and so forth for this Republican Party that was up there doing their whole thing. They had cameras everywhere. Think about God. You only got one camera. But it takes note of everybody and everything. <laughs> and nothing is missed. Nothing is missed. And the question is, how are you really living your life? That's what's important. You know? And we have to decide if we're going to live it for the Lord or not. And we're going to live it in such a way that honors him. Because that's what's important. Are we living that way? And you and I need to come to that place that we can recognize that. And I'm going to need to go on the screen up here in a moment. Who's in the back back there? I'm going to need to go on the screen as soon as we can. But let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for your loving kindness unto us. And we thank you for the living word that is sharper than any two-edged sword, that truly is a light unto our path, that allows us, Lord, to go out and come in without fear, knowing that, Lord, we have a solid foundation that we stand on, your word, and we trust in your word. For your word, Lord, will accomplish everything you so desire in our lives. And we pray, Father, that as we grow in your word and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that, Lord, that we would be such a people that are pleased in your sight. We are pleasing unto you. And you take great joy in watching us perform each and every day as we do the things that we are unctioned by your Holy Spirit. And, Father, help us to yield to him to be guided by him that he and he alone would truly be the one who controls our life and we can truly say for me to live is Christ and to die is gain Lord may it be so in the lives of your people that we learn how to serve others by serving Christ that we learn how to love each other deeply by the love that we have for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.
Lord, minister to us now as we look into your word. And Lord, we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're into that area now. About maybe two more sermons on the area of end times. And then we're going to jump over to the difficulties of families. Um, Families are struggling. And uh, we're going to go through the area of divorce and remarriage also because the issue is is that when you study it, a divorce is worse than a death. When people go through death, they're able to grieve through it, get over it, and, and usually move on. Divorce seems like it's something that just lingers around for a long, 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 long time. And it's somebody that you still have to deal with. So we're going to deal with that. Then we're going to deal with children and the rebelliousness of children and what we teach our children. So we're going to be looking at family for a while when we're done with this series. And if you know anybody that's struggling, anybody just needs some help, anybody just need a word of encouragement, I hope that you invite them. Let them know that we'll be doing it. But today we're going to be looking at truth and justice meets sin. Truth and justice meets sin. And it meets it at the, what is called the white throne judgment. Most people believe there's just going to be one great judgment. And there's two judgments. The judgment seat of Christ, found in 2 Corinthians 5, for those who are believers. And only the believers will be there at the judgment seat of Christ. Non-believers will not be there. It's strictly believers. But at the white throne judgment, there will only be unbelievers, basically. Now, I'm going to throw my little two cents in. I'll be like Paul, not the Lord, but I think. That there's going to be believers there, but they're going to be there for a different purpose than being judged. But they're going to be there. And I believe that they're there for a particular purpose. And hopefully we can bring some of that out today. But there are those two different judgments that take place. The judgment seat of Christ and the white throne judgment. Titled differently. Totally different. And the expectation is totally different. Now, at that white throne judgment... As I said, only basically unbelievers, because that's what the judgment's for, is to deal with the unbeliever. It's the rejection of the unbeliever even to the area of Jesus Christ. So in Numbers 32, he says, but if you fail to do this, you will be sinning, but look who he said you're going to sin against, the Lord. All sin is against God. All sin is against the Lord. But he says, and you may be sure that your sin will do what? How many of you try to have secret sin? How many of you think when you do something, nobody else will ever discover it? How many of you think when you do something in the dark, 
nobody else sees it. How many of you have been standing somewhere when you were young, you look all around to make sure nobody's there, and, and boy, you got it, and think you got away with it. See, a lot of us believe we get away with our sin, or we won't get caught in our sin. But the scripture here makes it very clear that your sin will find you out. And it will. Uh, Once you sin and you don't confess it, it stays with you. You're always fearful. You're always looking over your shoulder in a sense. You're always wondering, does anybody else know about it? Because sin will come right to you and say, yeah, you did it. You did it. In Deuteronomy 24, 16 says, the fathers, shall not, the fathers shall not be put to death for their children. It does tell us in Scripture also that the sins of the father are passed down to what? Second, third, even down to the fourth generation. And what that sin is basically is this, is one's behavior. How many people have you ever heard say, my dad was an alcoholic, I won't be an alcoholic, and what do they wind up being? My dad was a womanizer, I hated it, what do they wind up being? Oftentimes, even in our homes today, you will hear it from the children saying what the parents say. So profanity comes out of the mouth of a two, three, four-year-old, ten-year-old, because what? The sins of the mom and dad are following the children we're at out into the public life. The rebellion is following in the home, what takes place there, and the type of action that takes place there follows on out into public. It's not so much that kids are rowdy at school without first being rowdy where? (laughs) At home. So that behavior, it follows us. And the Lord says, yes, even to the fourth generation. Now, he says, but each one of us here in this verse, what he's getting to is this. Each is to die for his own sin. In other words, we have in our day to day, we have the blame game. I'll blame somebody else for what I do. I did this because I came from a bad home. I did this because I didn't have this or that. I did this because of that. And we wind up blaming rather than accepting the responsibility that I chose to do this. We put it off on somebody else. And God says, no, you're going to stand for your own sin. You're going to answer for your own sin. And you're not going to be able to say, your mom, your dad, your brothers, your sisters, your community, your environment, you can't throw it off on anything else but other than your own choice to do it. You made the decision, and that's what God's going to judge you on. Your decision and the action that you took and the motives behind all that. He goes on and he says in Philippians 2, 10 11, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under earth. And every tongue's going to do something. It's going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. May not have done it on this side. 
may not be willing to accept it. But everybody's tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, what does that mean? That means a Hindu who does not really recognize Jesus Christ will bow down and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord over all. What does that mean for a Muslim? That they will bow down and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Every group that has rejected Jesus Christ, every person will bow down and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you say, well, why? Because the deceptor has deceived. Satan has deceived. Satan has put that blinder on. And the thing is now, at the white throne judgment, they're going to see who truly is their judge, who would have been their savior. They're truly going to see him in all his glory, in all his splendor. They're going to see him for who he really is. So in Revelation 20, and let's turn to it. You have your Bibles. Let's get ready to dig into it a little bit. Starting in verse 11. He says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, earth and sky fled from his presence. And there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. In some translation, it's called the Lamb's book of life. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Again, twice he mentions it in this short time. That you're being judged for what you have done. You're being judged for even how you have lived. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The first thing they face, and first thing John says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. Who's that him? Jesus. That Jesus is set to judge. Jesus is set to judge all who have rejected him. All those who would not accept him as their Lord and Savior. And he is sitting there. And they all will see him. For all who have died in unbelief or in rejection of Jesus Christ, it says they will see him. He says, boy, the sea gave up his dead. And the grave over. Only thing that it's saying here in this text is simply this. Wherever you die at, be assured. You're going to be raised. (laughs) 
whether you are buried at sea, you're coming forth from the sea. If your body was put in the grave, and that's all the word Haiti is there, grave, your body's coming forth from the grave. And everyone will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ who have not accepted him, and they will see him seated in the throne, on his throne. Now, why Jesus? And that's one thing we have to get a clarity on. Why Jesus? Why would he judge? Because in our minds, we say, God, God. Jesus is God. But in our minds, we say God the Father or this all-supreme being, not this lower one, Jesus. And I think Scripture helps us to see why Jesus is going to judge. And, And it's important that you take real note of what we're going to discuss here just for a moment. Because I think it clarifies a lot of people, for a lot of people, that God isn't going to do it, yet God is doing it, but God the Father is not doing it. It's Jesus Christ who is God doing it. In John 5.22, go there with me, because there's a purpose behind it, that he's the one who will sit, and he is the one who will judge. So starting in verse 22, John chapter 5, he says, Moreover, the Father judges no one. So he makes it very clear right here. The Father will do what? Judge no one. Okay. So he, he, he very quickly allows us to know the Father is not going to be judging anyone for, on their life. And remember, Jesus said, it's the word that will judge you. But also then go back to John. Jesus is the word. (laughs) He is the word. The word will judge you. And he goes on and he says, let me get my eyes on. The Father will judge no one, but has entrusted, catch the word, he's entrusted all judgment to who? To the Son. Now, when you get to verse 23, he's going to explain why. The purpose behind Jesus Christ being the judge. Being judge. Now, understand something. There's something that takes place on earth that does not take place in heaven. There's something that takes place on earth that does not take place in heaven. And you remember in scripture as you go through and you'll hear the demons sometimes talk about Jesus and Jesus would tell them to do what? Shh. Because they're fallen angels and guess what? They know. They know who he really is. The one who doesn't really know is man. 
And man has to accept it by faith. And sometimes as silly and foolish and unintelligent as the Bible may sound, it's true. And in that verse 23, he gives us the purpose behind it. He says that all may honor the Son just as they honor who? The Father. That all who are here on earth may honor the Son as they honor who? Now, majority of people on earth will admit God. But the moment you put Jesus in it, it changes. Because is Jesus God? Is Jesus just another religion that people follow? Or is Jesus really God? And has the title, the Son of God. And he says, boy, that they would honor me. Just like they honor the Father. And he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent me. So, I can say in life, I believe in God, but I don't believe in who? Jesus Christ. And that's the division that takes place here on earth, but does not take place in heaven. For every angel, every created thing in heaven know who Jesus Christ really is. But here on earth, there's that division. There's that division. And we're trying to discover who he is. And he says that men might learn to honor me as they honor my father. Because most people will tell they believe in God. But when you get to Jesus, it becomes another question. A young lady who I was sharing with on Wednesday night, she was sharing with me, uh, I believe in God. I said, that's well. That's good. And she went on and she said, but I don't go to church, but I do believe in God. I said, Satan believes, but Satan got one up on you. He goes to church. And the whole process here on earth, we are the ones who divided Jesus and the Father. And Jesus says, I'm going to sit in judgment that you will honor me by bowing down, confessing my name, and saying that I am Lord to the glory of God. You're going to give me that honor at that white throne judgment, whether you want to do it or not, because every tongue will confess and every knee is going to bow. You're going to do it. And, and the whole process is to learn to honor him and to recognize who he is. That they're not really in hell because of how they have lived although their works are going to be judged, but the main thing that they did, they rejected who? Jesus Christ. And he reveals who he really is there at the throne. 
The one you rejected is the one that's judging you. Now, at the white throne judgment, truth is revealed. He's sitting on the throne. There's no other on that throne. And all judgment has been entrusted unto him. Now, go with me to John 3.18, because I want you to see something, because, again, it's the way we think often. We sometimes vision ourselves, when we die, we immediately go up to God to find out if we're going into the pearly gates or we're going to hell. We're going up, as often as it's been stated, we're going to go up and Peter's going to be there at the gate and he'll either let us in or he'll reject us. Well, it takes place long before we go up. So in John 3.18, he says, Whoever believes in him is not what? Condemned. So we're going to see the ones who are not condemned, whose names are written in what is called the book of life. They're not condemned. But in the other books, they're condemned. They are condemned. And he says again, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned when? Already. Catch that already. You're already condemned. You're already on your way to hell, just don't know it. You're already condemned because of your own rejection of Jesus Christ. So you don't have to go up to heaven to find out if you're going to hell. You go to hell immediately upon death. If you have not accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. But some people say, well, is that a scare tactic? No. That's the truth. (laughs) That's the truth. If I could scare people into heaven, I would do that. I would play the boogeyman. I would do whatever I do to get you to pull the sheet up over and reject the world that you may get into heaven. But the truth really is. The moment you die, and if you die without Christ, you go to hell. The moment you die, and you're a believer, you go to heaven. Now, that's something in our minds that's hard to even begin because we're saying, are you trusting that just on this? Show me something else that you're going to trust. What are you trusting that on? Your own opinion? Your own observation of life? Well, you've seen life, but have you seen the other side? (laughs) And this is all I have to trust in. So, I believe it. And one day, one day, that which I hope for, I will see for myself. Now, who was rejected now sits on that throne. And that's why John says, it's him who sits on the throne, referring to Jesus. Now, it it speaks about 
earth and sky running away. And you can search that out in many different areas. You won't find too much stated about earth and heaven fleeing. In the NIV is the word sky, which may be the prince of air, that which is above us. In King James and some others, it uses the translate heaven, that earth and heaven flees. Well, one guy that I was reading, uh, he was a little comical in this thing when I looked at it because he says, boy, heaven and earth are done away with. And judgment is taking place out in space. <laughs> and I said, if everything's done away with, where's the space? You know. But in that text, when it speaks about heaven and earth, fleeing, he is not talking about literal heaven and earth. There are two places where sin took place. One in heaven with the rebellious angels. Second one here on earth with man. Everyone who sins and sees him want to do this. When you're in trouble and you see the police, and I can't understand this yet, even when I watch news, and sometimes when I'm watching cops even, where are you going to run? <laughs> I mean, I'm going down in my car 90 miles, 105 miles an hour, and I got four or five police cars behind me. I, what's up in front? Where am I going to run? Where am I going to hide? I jump out the car and I take off running because now I got to face authority and I'm trying to get away from it. Where am I going to run? Where am I going to hide? And that's what that scripture is referring to. Heaven and earth fled away because the judge of all judges is now sitting on the throne and they don't want to face him. And it says, heaven and earth fled away. But there's nowhere to run because the next thing that's said in that text, there's no place for them to hide. (laughs) There's no place for them to hide. They're trying to run away, but no place to hide, no place to go. There is no other place behind earth and heaven. Where are you going to go? Where are you going to run? David says, boy, if I go to the depths of hell, God is there. If I go to the highest of heaven, God is there. Where am I going to run to get away from God? Can't do it. And he just simply says, boy, earth and sky fled from his presence. And there was no place for them. There's nowhere else to go. You want to run from the one who is sitting on the throne. You want to run from the one who's going to judge you. But now it's too late. There's nowhere to go. They have no place to hide from Jesus. And oftentimes when you are guilty of something, you want to do what? You want to hide. It's something sometimes to 
sin or to do wrong or to break the law, but you don't want to face the authority that's going to correct you. You'll run from it. You'll hide from it. You want to get away from it. And what the text is saying there to us is this. There is no escaping judgment. There is no escaping judgment. There is none. For it is appointed unto man once to die and then what? <laughs> judgment. It's appointed. You're going to die. Everyone in this room is going to die. Some of us are going to die sooner and some of us are going to die later. But we're all going to what? And then judgment. Judgment. And people have no place to hide from the judgment of their sin. He says, the dead, great and small. And what he is referring to in the area of great and small, it doesn't matter what your position is in life at this time. It doesn't matter if you're the king. It doesn't matter if you're the pastor. It doesn't matter who you are, how intelligent you are, how rich you are. We're all going to stand before that throne. We're all going to be judged. Either at the judgment seat of Christ or the white throne judgment. Nobody will miss judgment. You're going to be at one or the other. But here, he's saying, your greatness, because sometimes people think position entitled you to what? Certain privileges. The pharaohs of Egypt believed that. The emperors of Japan believed that. Many areas have believed because of their leaders being in the positions that they were, that they were somehow divine and somehow they were going to be entitled to things that they were not. And what God is simply saying here, it doesn't matter about your position in society, whether it be of great or of lesser, you all will stand before me. Why? There's no favoritism with God. There's no favoritism with God. Go to Acts 10.34. Acts 10.34. And, and we need to understand that God in his righteousness will always judge righteously. Therefore, it cannot be judged on the standards of man. Man would pull up his own standards, and man wants to judge himself by his own rules. And, and man oftentimes makes his own mistakes, or he lowers his standards in order for this group may be able to get over, but another group may not. The whole process is man's standards are usually always unfair. As much as we try to make them fair, they're unfair. Even with the law of equal housing, the Fair Housing Act, we pass the laws and we still have what? Problems in those areas. Though we have the lending laws of who you can loan money to and so forth. And, and, and if you have the credit of this, this, or that, you're supposed to be able to get it. But many of you remember Roger. When Roger built his new home and a bank in this area told him no, 
And they told him no because he decided to build his home basically here amongst African Americans. And they thought it was outpriced. When they told him no, he was upset. And when Roger told me, I said, you want a free home? <laughs> I know how to get a free home right now. You know, because you can put a suit in. And the issue is, he was told no, but here's a man who works at Chrysler. Here's a man who has his house up in Hudson already paid for. Here is a man who, has, who is well off, and you're going to say no because where he wants to build his home. We still, when it comes to man, have that unfairness and judgment. But with God... Life may not be fair, but God is. And God is just. God is just. So in that verse 34, listen to what Peter is going to say. Peter said, then Peter began to speak. I now realize. Now Peter's not no young boy. Peter's not no young man. But Peter comes to this realization at this point and says, I now realize, I now understand something about God. That God does not show favoritism. No matter what your rank may be, your ethnicity, it doesn't matter to God. Being poor or rich, it doesn't matter to God. How? Educated you are, it doesn't matter to God. When it comes to him judging us about sin in our life and the rejection of Jesus Christ. Go over to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28. Again, oftentimes used for one purpose, and, but here in the text... In 3.28 of Galatians, he simply says, There is neither Jew nor Greek dealing with the ethnic groups. It don't matter you black or white, you're going to stand before God with no favoritism. No. It, it doesn't matter if you're Asian or if you're from Africa, if you're from China, you're going to stand before God with no favoritism. And he says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now that is true, that when we all stand before Christ at the cross, we're all the same. And when we step into the body of Christ, we're all the same and we're all treated the same. And we need to recognize there is no favoritism with God. Pastors don't have certain favoritism because they have the title pastor, reverend, doctor, whatever. I'm going to stand before the Lord and give an account for the works and deeds that I have done. I will stand at the judge and be judged by him rather at the judgment seat of Christ for believers. And if I'm faking it, he knows it. And I'm going to be at the white throne judgment. 
Because the one who really knows if you are really saved and if you are really a Christian is the Lord and you. The books, he says, the books were open. It is something to look at these books. And he says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were open. Now, I want you to take note of books on the first one. It's plural. So it's more than what? More than one book. It's more than one book. It's plural. So there are far more people who are lost than those who are saved. It takes a number of books. Now, Theodore Epps, he says, the moment you are born, your name goes in the book. And then he says, after the age of accountability, you become responsible based on now your knowledge of Jesus Christ, whether you receive him or not. And he says, if by time of death you have not received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, then your name is blotted out of the book and transferred over into another book. Your name then is moved from the book of life and transferred over into one of the books. Now, why these books? And why are we so involved with this area of the books? Go with me to Matthew 7 and go to 13 with me. Matthew chapter 7 in verse 13. He says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to what? Destruction. He gives us a picture of two roads. One road, he says, is narrow. So usually on a narrow road, you don't have a lot of traffic. It may be a two-lane. And a lot of places when I was in Columbia, it was one lane. And you just somebody had to pull over and let one go by. <laughs> just a thing of courtesy. But he says it's narrow. If it's narrow, there's very few people on that road. But then there's highways that I've been on that have six lanes. And sometime going into Washington or Chicago, you got the bus lane. And that's all supposed to be in there. The bus or what they call uh, where you team up together and you all ride in the car together and off you go. Nobody else will be in that lane. But you have all these lanes because of the amount of traffic that is on it. But on that narrow road, you have very little traffic traveling it. And he says, boy... On that road to eternal life is very few that's traveling it. But on the road to destruction, it's wide. 
It's wide. Now what I want you to think about is this. That road wide, it needs a lot of books to register all that are traveling on that wide road. But on that narrow road, one book. One book. One book. Now, there's a other book that's open. It's called the Book of Life. So there's two books that are present. What I'd like for you to do in your mind is just to do this. The life of Gus Brown. The life of, put your name in there. Because, see, God is keeping a record of your life. And he's going to reveal it. He's going to reveal whether you lived for him or if you chose not to live for him. And you put your name in there, the life of. Then on the other side, the issue is the life of Jesus. And there's a book called The Life of Jesus. But in a sense, when I become a born-again Christian, my life should become a life of what? A life of Jesus. That I die to self, that Christ might live through me. That I die to self, that Christ might live through me. Now, you got to decide which book would you want open. Your own personal life, the life of, or the life of Jesus. Now, there's a way of seeing that, too, in Scripture. Go to John 39, 40. Because the issue is you can look like a Christian, talk like a Christian, sound like a Christian, and quote verses and everything else. But the thing is, do you really know? Oh, let me get... Uh, I got John... No, John, I put the verses, but not the chapter. Uh, let's see. 39... This old mind don't work like it used to. Let me go by and I'll bring it back to you next, next, next week. But the issue is, you have a choice to believe Jesus Christ really is God or not. And what they were saying, that this is the carpenter's son. This is the son of Mary. And man reasons himself that this is the carpenter's son, the son of Mary. And how can he say he come from heaven? And we do that. We reason in ourselves of who we believe or think that Jesus is. Now, Paul went through that also. Go over to, boy, I'm jumping ahead of myself. Go to Galatians 2.20. 
I want you to see the commitment that Paul makes once he realizes something. And he simply comes back and he says in that 2.20, he said, I have been crucified. To be crucified is to be what? Put to death. And Paul says, I've been crucified. It's not me that live. But it's Christ that liveth in me. And he goes on to say, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. And what Paul is really considering, that he no longer Live. Now, one of the biggest problems in Christianity and in life itself is that, boy, we're out to get all the gusto. We're out to live all the life that we can live. How many of you really live for self? How many of you understand that, boy, the only thing you really care about in life is who? And it's called selfishness. That that's all that matters is me. Now, in John six forty two, he's going to make another statement, and this may be the one that he simply says. Let me get. They said to the woman, "Yep, better get the six. Oh, here it is. I was, just, I was ahead of myself. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Now, go over to 2 Corinthians 5.16 and listen to what Paul says. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 16. And, and really hear and, and ask yourself, could Paul be struggling with the same thing that these men were struggling with because Paul says I once also thought of Jesus as one in the flesh in 5.16 he said so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view though we once regarded Christ in this way we, we once looked at Christ as only being what? A man. We only looked at Christ as being one born just like we're born, uh, live like we live, but he's not divine. He's not God. He didn't come from heaven. And trying to figure that out. And Paul said, we once thought of him also in this fashion. And then he goes on and he simply says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Why? Because we don't regard him as we used to see him, as just man, as the son of the carpenter. 
Now we realize He really is the Son of God. We realize He really is our Savior. We realize He is our Redeemer. We realize He is the one who reconciles us to God. I'm seeing Him differently. And oftentimes, sometimes, we don't see God differently. Melvin was doing a great job in the Psalms in helping you to see God and how God works with us. And sometimes we don't even see God working in our lives. Then in Matthew 16, 24 to 25, boy, you, you have this one that is there and, and one thing is taking place and then something else automatically takes place. In 16, 24 and 25, he said, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Boy. No. I don't want to deny myself. And if you're not willing to deny yourself, most likely you'll wind up at the white throne judgment. And if you're willing to deny yourself and die to self, you'll wind up at the judgment seat of Christ. Two set of books. Your choice. Your life or his life. Do you live for him or do you live for self? Do you deny yourself in order to live for him? And that's the paradox that oftentimes we find ourselves in because we don't want to deny ourselves. But it's in the denying of ourselves that we're able to live for him. There's a lot of dying, a lot of peeling off of life. Um, I had a little nickname that uh, family members nicknamed me when I first came back from the service and, and so forth. And then uh, my wife's family, it was bulletproof. Because I'll fight you in a minute. <laughs> and as I met the Lord, things began to change. Because if you really are in the Lord, you die to yourself. And you change. Because it's not about you. And Paul is right in what he says. I become all things to all people that I might what? Win some. If I would have stayed bulletproof brown, or if I would have stayed this or that, or I would have stayed a certain way, I wouldn't have been able to reach certain people. If I would have had my mentality that I had coming out the service at first, boy, things had to change. And God changed them little by little by little by little. That old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And I learned to die to self that I might be accepted in different cultures. And that's one reason I love to travel today and see I enjoy being with other cultures. Learn so much. And the whole thing is, are we willing to die to ourselves and take up our cross and follow him? Look at the steps that he gives. Die to self, take up your cross, 
then follow. Three steps that have to be followed through with. Now, come back over this life with Jesus. Over here, with your life, you're not willing to die to self. And Jesus is going to show that at the white throne judgment. You were not willing to die to self and live for me. Why don't you catch some of the verses that Paul is going to share. Go with me to Philippians 1.21. Because what you want to see is Paul changing and his mind even changing. So in 121, Paul simply states it in this fashion. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For the present moment in life is for Christ to live in me and through me. But when I die, what I gain. So I don't have to live for this moment. And we have to understand that life is like a vapor, a steam. It's up for a moment, you see it, and then it's what? It fades. Uh, life is like a blade of grass. It shoots up, and then it's what? It dies off. But eternal life is something that goes on and on and on and on. And it makes a huge difference. For Christ, for Paul said, yes, I'll gladly live for Christ now, this very moment, this short period of life that I might gain throughout eternity. Go over to chapter 2 and verse 13. Listen to what Paul says. For it is God whose works, who works in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. How many of you could really say, God's working through me to accomplish what he wants to accomplish? That I'm not out here chasing after my own desires, my own lust, my own want. But God is really working through me for his glorification. And I know it. And I know it. And I know it. Then over in chapter 3, 7 through 10. Philippians is a great book. But look at what he said. But whatever was to my prophet, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sharing. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. Is that a heartbeat for you? I want to know him. I want to know him. I want to know him. The books record all the deeds, and John says it twice, that he will look at what you have done in life. The dead were judged according to what they had done. 
he mentions it twice, so it's important. He's talking about their stewardship. You say, well, unbelievers don't have stewardship. Yes, they do. And they give account for not taking care of the things of God. They will give account of where they place their money, just like you and I will do. We give an account for time that God's given us. Whether it be 50 years, 60 years, 75 years, you will give an account of life. They will give an account of life and what they did with it. Their efforts in destroying the kingdom or building the kingdom is a choice. Their lustful desires. Now understand the word lustful can be used in a positive or negative form. I can lust after God. I can lust after the things of God. And what it's saying is that I have a strong desire for the things of God. Give an answer for their hate and their unwillingness to forgive. One of the worst things that takes place, and I can't call his name, but he's the pastor where Chriswell used to pastor in Texas, and, and, and the whole process of uh, a, a church, six city blocks. Uh, it took them over six, seven months to remove the stuff that they tore down as they started into their rebuilding process. But the whole thing is, he makes this little statement. He says, God doesn't grade on a curve. God doesn't grade on a curve. In other words... God doesn't say an A starts at 93 or 94 to 100. That's an A. But since the highest grade only came in at 91, we'll make 91 the A and we curve it. We lower the standards. God doesn't lower his standards. He's not grading on a curve. He holds the standard high. And we have to meet it. People choose to go to hell by not believing there is a hell. And they believe that because they believe that this God so loves that he would not send anybody to a place of torment. That, that God is love. And yes, He is love. But God is just. God is just. And because one rejects the Lord Jesus Christ and rejects the lifestyle that the Lord has planned out for Christians, they find themselves there at the white throne judgment. People tell themselves, I don't need a Savior. 
I don't need a Savior. I'll make it. I can do this. I'll be all right. And all they're saying is they don't want to depend on anybody else. And yet in life, we're all dependent on somebody else. May not like it, but we are dependent because God made us that way. And he knew that we would need a Savior. And he provided one in Jesus Christ, his son. And people say, I'll take my chances. And what they're chancing on is this here, my good works. But when they compare their good works, they're comparing their good works with one another. And the Lord says, don't measure yourself by one another. I'm better than him because I was faithful to my wife. I'm better than him because, boy, I took care of my children in my home and I raised my children. I was better because, hey, I was a good employee. I didn't steal from my employer. I didn't waste time. I did what I needed to do. I showed up on time. I was great. I was a good employee. I even got my certificates to show. But none of that matters. None of that matters. And people say, my works will get me in. They will not. And people say, I'm as good or righteous as Jesus Christ. When they see Jesus Christ only as a man. And that's why a lot of other religions say, yes, he was a good man. He was a good prophet. He was a good this but not that he was God. And all those things most likely will be stated there at the white throne judgment. Now, let me get to this closing part. Because he says, another book was opened, which is the book of life. Turn with me to Psalms 96, 28. No, 69, 69, 28, 69. The reason I think that the believer is going to be there is because the book of life is opened. Not so much are they there to be judged. But they're there to say, He saved me! He saved me! I believed Him. I accepted Him. I lived under His ordinance. I lived the way He wanted me to live. He was Lord of my life. I believe that they're there to give testimony to what Christ himself has done in their life. Listen to what the psalmist says here in verse 28. May they be blotted out of the, out of the book of life. May they be what? 
blotted out of the book of life. Now catch the next part. And not be listed with the who? With the righteous. Blot them out. Put their names over here. There's no confusion. Everybody in this book of life is of the righteous. Those over here are not. But yet, it is those who are saved that will be able to give testimony. Now understand this. To the marvelous work of Jesus. There would be no reason at all to have the book of life there unless there was a purpose behind it. Because their names are blotted out and transferred over into another set of books. And even if the books were there for them to go up and look in the book of life to see if their name was there, all they would see that it had been blotted out. But I believe it's there because believers will be there to give testimony of the great work that God has did in their life. When you have people saying, if you would have only did this, if you would have showed me, if you would have did this here. No. They believed. Why couldn't you? They accepted. Why couldn't you? They lived a holy life. They lived for Christ. They died for self. Why couldn't you? Somewhere catch the picture? And those books are open to be able to be judged. And both are judged by the same standard, by the same word, by the same person. Amen? All right, that's it. I hope that you were.